will be in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Um, there's really no way we can look at the verses. Um, verse 15 is where we'd like to start reading. But we're going to have to look just for a minute at what's happened in the previous chapter or two or we won't know what's going on. So we're going to be looking at King Joash. His father was the king of Judah and he died in judgment really against the house of Ahab. He was friendly with Ahab's house and was part of Ahab, the king's family. Joash's grandmother, uh, she was the sister of Ahab. And so he dies and his grandmother, not wanting to give up the throne, she wanted to be in control. So she's going to have all of Joash's brothers killed. All of the seed royal, she's going to have them killed so that there won't be anybody in line to inherit the throne. But Joash's aunt, now he's less than one year old at this time, his aunt and uncle who was a priest, his uncle was a priest, they took him and they hid him down at the temple for six years. And in the seventh year, Jehoiada, the priest, he set up, had Athaliah to be executed and anointed Joash, the rightful heir to the throne of David, anointed him as the king. And so he has been the king and God through him and Jehoiada together had done good works. The Bible says in the start of this 24th chapter that Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now the temple had been forsaken. They repaired the breaches in the temple. They done many great works in reestablishing the work of God, Jehoiada there being his, uh, his guide, his helper, his instructor, his mentor, guided him through these things. And in verse 15, But Jehoiada waxed old and was full of days when he died. A hundred and thirty years old was he when he died. Maybe we'll just walk down through this verse by verse. Now you talk about mercy now. Back in Abraham's day, and previous, it was normal for people to live this long. You saw many live lives over a hundred, and before Abraham, way beyond that. In this day, it's not that. It's not that. Uh, it doesn't happen near as much. Man's lifespan has been shortened, but God here allowed Jehoiada to live a hundred and thirty years to guide this kingdom in the right direction, to be a help to Joash, to help establish him on what was right. But he's going to die old and full of years. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. Now what a testimony that this man had when he died. That the Israel could come together and say this man ought to be buried in honor. Buried in a place that his name is honored because of the good that through his life he had done. Now you and I, we may know a few people that we would regard in that place that died in our eyes, 
in honor. That died in a place that they had done good, not just being a good person, but that through the power and the usage of God, they left a testimony that could be remembered that this was God's priest. That's how Jehoiada died. And may God help us to desire that, that as well. To desire that when we died, what could be remembered would be the power of God and the strength of God that was upon our life. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them, and they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. So Jehoiada's going to die. He's going to be buried Joash is going to be on his own now. And here comes the princes and the nobles. And always, you see, the devil comes with nobility. The devil comes with honor. He comes with pomp. And in the eyes of man, it appears to be the greatest that there is. So the princes come to the king and they make obeisance. That, that means they bow down. They prostrated themselves to the king. And you know, it sounds like maybe they're just honoring the king. But as you listen to the latter part, the king hearkens and they leave the Lord. So they've come. They've come to tell the king, look, you followed after the Lord all the days of Jehoiada. He's dead and gone now. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Let us go back to the way that things were under your father's hand. Let us go back to the days that we could worship idols and groves. Idols already talked about. But here they come, and, and how do these princes come? They come with flattery. They come honoring this man, seeking to get his favor. You can see that in Proverbs. The strange woman with fair speech causes the young man to yield. You can see it through the Old Testament and in the New and Jude and in Peter. You can see those false teachers and false prophets. You can see them sneaking in and with feigned words making merchandise. And through covetousness they speak these feigned words and they're there to build man up. You know what the devil's desire is? I believe this is always his desire. It's always the way that He begins work, especially in people that know of the Lord, know of the Word of God. He'd like to build you up to a place that you think you're better than what you really are. I mean, in Romans, Romans you've got 11 chapters of some of the best uh, teaching of the doctrines of salvation. And in chapter 12, He begins there, down about verse 3, He's beginning to get practical beginning to apply it to the way we live. And he says, I would that no man think more highly of himself than he ought to think. You know how Joash got to where he was? He was a baby, less than a year old, and he was going to die at the hand of his grandmother. She was going to kill him. Why, well, this was going to happen. Well, she killed every other one of them. And somebody intervened in his situation and brought him out of a place that he was helpless to be brought out of. And then they hit him. And you know what that was? They were risking their life. You know, you look at Rahab when she hid those spies down in Jericho. She risked her life 
to hide those men of Israel in her house. Jehoiada and his wife, uh, it's Joash's aunt, the sister of Joash's father, they're going to put their life at stake that they might protect and keep this young man from the hand of the destroyer. They're going to risk their self. And i tell you this, he's going to become king at seven years old, not by anything that he's done, but Jehoiada the priest is going to make sure that justice and that righteousness and that the rightful heir to the throne is going to inherit it. And it's Jehoiada's hand that brings about every single bit of this. Joash had nothing to do with any of it. You know, that's, that's the way, honest to God, that you and I are. It's not seen as it ought to be. But that we are and we have gotten to where we are today by the hand and by the mercy and by the protection and by the power of Almighty God. The truth is, we've got to where we are because God has allowed, God has brought to pass God has brought forth. I thought of this even as our visitors came in this morning. The Lord knew before they came that they were coming to hear this day. That's the kind of God that we have today. One that's in control and has knowledge of all things far beyond our understanding or our logic or the way that man would think. And God has allowed each one of us to be here. And friends, if it was not for the hand of God, the devil would have destroyed every single one of us long ago. I believe we can look at the Bible. Don't take my word for that. We can look at the Bible and see what the devil would desire to do to man. The devil would desire for man to be dead. The devil would desire, whether it's Job or the lost man out on the street, the devil would like for him to be dead because when they're dead, they're of no value. And them that die lost and undone, they're suffering eternal. That's the devil's desire. I tell you, a grandmother that would kill every one of her grandchildren to stay in power, that's a wicked Wicked person, wouldn't you say? Ahab and Jezebel, they were wicked, wicked people. Beyond even, beyond even what we would think of as wicked. And yet the devil is far beyond that. The devil is far more depraved, far more wicked, far more hateful, far more murderous than Jezebel, than Ahab, than Athaliah. But you know, the Lord has allowed us to have what we've got today. I hate that that's not believed. I really do. I hate that man thinks that he's made himself, that he's done his own thing, that he's got to where he is, and it's by our strength that we'll get to where we're going. But Paul preaches this to those at Mars Hill. Now who were they? They were educated. They knew it all. They didn't need help. They just wanted something new to be taught to them. And Paul begins to preach. He says, "This God's He's not in a temple and He's not in an idol, but this God made the world and everything that's therein. This God is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. He's the one that's in control of the heavens and He's in control of the earth. And He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands nor is He worshipped 
with men's hands as if he needed anything. As if God needed Joseph to come down here this morning that his work might be done. I tell you, God can get work done with man. God can get work done without man. God can slaughter the enemy with the army of Israel. God can take Gideon's 300 and kill a multitude. But God can bring an angel in one night and do the exact same work. God's the one in control and God is the one that's allowed us to be where we are. It's by His hand and it's by His power. It's in Him, the Bible says, that we live and move and have our being. So you get outside of Him, what have we got? We're dead. Saved or lost. Sinner or a, a son of God. Outside of Him we're dead and nothing. But boy, the devil, well, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he comes with flattery. Oh, Joash, you're the king. You're the one that's in control. Haven't you listened to the priest? And haven't you been ordered around long enough? Now that's what the devil says. He says that about the precious Word of God. That the, the very Word of God. Do you believe this is the Word of God? I believe it with every ounce within me. I believe it more today than I have at any point in my life that this book was inspired and written by the hand of men as the Holy Ghost directed them to move it. I believe with all of my heart that this is the Word of God. And you know that the devil, through flattery, gets man to believe that he knows more than what the inspired Word of God would say. He makes me believe that I'm above this Word of God. He, he does it by taking the pastor or the teacher or Kevin or Anthony as they open or even my sorry flap of flesh. And the devil gets you to look at me. Well, that man don't know anything. Well, I agree completely with what you're saying. I agree with that. But the Word of God is true. No matter what piece of flesh God uses to preach it, the Word of God is true. And the devil brings man by lies and by flattery to a place that we know more and we know better than the Word of God. Now what happens when I get to that place? I'll tell you the first thing that happens. I get bitter towards the Word of God. I get bitter towards the Gospel. I lose my interest in really hearing what God would say to me. You know why? I don't need that Word of God. I don't need God to direct me. I don't need God to correct me. Why? Who does God think that He is that He's going to correct me? Now the church may need correcting. The church might need revival. There might be a few that's out, but let me tell you something. I'm right where I am. Don't need to hear. Don't matter if it's Joseph. Don't matter if it's a man in the Jubilee. Don't matter if it's Greg. We know more than every one of them. And we know more than the Word of God. And we're right no matter what anybody says. Boy, we've been lied to. And we've been deceived. You're deceived. If any man say that he's not sinned, 
He's a liar. Now that's the book. And people see it in the house of God under the gospel and in their heart they say, I've not sinned. I'm not drunken like he's preaching about. I've not forsook the commandment of God. I've not been flattered. Boy, I tell you, he's he's a great deceiver. He's a great deceiver. They buried him. And they buried him with honor. Somebody recognized that this man was a man of God. I believe Joash recognized that too. I believe Joash recognized that Jehoiada was a man of God. But boy, when the devil begins to flatter, we'll turn against even that that we recognize to be God. There's men and women that have turned against what they said God inspired. There's men and women that will not hear what God wrote down. You know why that is? Because they're elevated. In their pride and in their thinking, they're thinking higher of themselves than what they really are. And they have... Now listen to what's going to happen. I I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll get there in just a minute. Just bear with us and hear what the Word of the Lord says. So they're going to leave to loosen or to relinquish. I tell you what, this is what I always think of when I look at that Word. It's when I ate too much and I loosen my belt a notch to make just a little more room. I tell you, that's what begins to happen. It's not that it's just all at one time they flopped out, but I tell you, they begin to loosen the restraint. What restraint was it? It was the restraint that the Word of God had upon man. I tell you what this will do. This will restrain me from living how I want to live. This will restrain me from walking as the flesh wants to walk. This will keep me, I tell you, it will keep me from foolishness. It will keep me from darkness. It will keep me from being deceived. And it will lead me towards the Savior and the power of God. But I tell you what begins to happen, and it's, it's just like a cylinder, a brake cylinder. You push this one, and this one's got to move. Well, as my heart begins to think high of myself, as I begin to trust in my ability and in my righteousness and in the truth of God, the more and more I trust in me, the more I loosen the Word of God from off of me. The more righteous I become in my eyes, the less I need the Lord and the less I need the gospel, the less I need to repent and the less I need the Lord's help. They go hand in hand. So he begins to be lifted up and he begins to loosen the house of God and there's always now, there's always something to fill the gap. I don't just leave the Lord And that be the end of it. But there's a void there that's got to be filled by something. There's a void there that something's going to come in and replace. Now, they're going to replace God now. Would you listen to me for just a minute? They're going to replace God with something a man made. They're going to replace God. 
this one that Paul preached about, made the heavens and the earth, we're going to replace that with something man-fashioned and formed, and we're going to bow down and we're going to give ourselves to that. You know why they're going to do that? Because this will let them sin. They can live however they want to if this is their God. If they want to do something else, if they want to pleasure their flesh, they can set their God down and go do however. And you know, Sunday morning we can come back and we can pick our God up and and He's the same as He always was. He don't require anything out of me. I tell you, they took God and they bowed down to idols. They bowed down to that that they formed and fashioned in their mind. That word idol, it's an image. It's a likeness. You could make something like this in my likeness. You could make it look like me. It would never be me, but you could make it look like me. You know what man does with God? Man takes Him, tries to make Him look like God, but makes Him look like Himself too. We're going to mingle the two. God's going to be like me. He's still going to be all-powerful, but He's not going to be righteous and holy. He's going to be the way I want Him to be. Ain't that convenient? Ain't it convenient that I can make my God be like me? I tell you, the God of the Bible, He's unchangeable. The Bible says that there's not even a shadow of turning with this God. He's not different. I, I said this, I believe it was at Glady. If I stand right here and I move to right here, Now I'm dressed the same. I'm the same fella that I was right there. But you know my shadow down here, it's changed because of how the light... Well, you know the Lord is light. He don't even have a shadow that changes. That's what that means. He doesn't even have a shadow that turns around Him by the light. I tell you, He's unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the same God that Jehoiada worshipped is going to be the same God that Joash is going to stand to. Jehoiada's out of the way. We can do what we want to now. It's funny that man always thinks that way, ain't it? We'll kill Jesus and we'll live how we want to. Herod said, we'll kill John the Baptist and I can have who I want to to wife. But the problem is, we've got God down to a man and we don't recognize God as who He is. The worms are going to eat Herod. Joash is going to die. I'm going to die. And you're going to die. But I tell you, there's one that's not... This Word of God, even though Jehoiada's dead and gone, God's still God. God's still in control. Thank God that He is. My God, what a mess we'd be in if God was not God. My God, if we depended upon leaders to tell us what's right, look where we would be today. But God, is still God. Though the opinion of the king may change, God is still God. Yeah, so they've turned, and the wrath of God came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespasses. Now they've replaced God. 
They've got exalted in their mind. They've loosened up God and God's Word from off of them. They've begun to serve idols and the formation of their mind. And you know what begins to happen? Would you be surprised if God didn't get angry? No, I tell you what we say. God ought to judge them. What they're going through, they deserve that. What they go through, they they need a little more. God ought to judge them just a little harsher than that. Boy, that's that's the way man thinks. You know what's wrong? Boy, he's way too big for his britches. He's got to a place that he's thinking far above himself than what he really is. Well, that's the way uh, Joash is. And the anger of God begins to be kindled against him. But you know, God, God is so long-suffering. My God, that cannot be understated. How good, how merciful, how long-suffering, how that God takes garbage from men and puts up with it year after year after year. God could have cut him off right there. But listen, verse 19, Yet, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again to the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not give ear. So God's going to send not prophet, not one. I tell you, that'd be about all you'd get from me. I mean, you already knew. You already had somebody that taught you your whole life. You were brought up by a priest of the house of God that held the standard by the witness of all the people in Israel. He taught you what you ought to be. He taught you what God's Word said. He showed you what the truth was. And now here we are. We're going to leave God and we're going to serve ourselves. I'd send you one message and that'd be it. You wouldn't even send one, would you? You wouldn't mess with them sinful people. Them ignorant people. But God sends prophets. You know why He sends them? God don't send them to bash people down. Man thinks today that the office of the pastor, the office of the preacher, is just to bash people down into the ground. And they use it as such. To walk and tread upon people to promote their own holiness. I tell you what God's desire is that they would turn them again. That they would return to what the gospel said. Well, the preacher ought not meddle in sin. I tell you, if we're in sin, he ought to preach what the Bible said, that it would wake me up and that I would turn back to God. God sent the prophets that Joash would repent. And say, I'm going the wrong way. I've left the way that I ought to be on. God sent that word prophets. It's an inspired man. A man that God inspired to come with a message. But they would not give ear. Now that word means to broaden the ear. Now I don't mean that. I don't mean that literally, naturally speaking. But you know, we sit here, we sit here through church, and there's a few that broaden the ear to hear. 
And the mo- now they don't have to do this. No, it's not in this. That's the word God uses to give me the picture that I need to understand it. There's some that make it. Some that want to hear something. There's some that would like for God to speak to them. And there's some that's so big, we're not even going to broaden our ear out to see if God will speak to us. We're above God anyway. We know more than God. We know more than the Word. We know more than the preacher. We know more than the Spirit. And what is He going to say to me that I do not already know? I tell you, a man gets up to preach something. I've already heard that in my life. I've heard it a couple times. No sense in listening to this. Well, I tell you, you ain't going to get nothing out of it. You're not. Even if the Holy Ghost bakes a new loaf on that fire, you're going to miss it. They would not give ear. And the Spirit of God came. Boy, oh boy, we're going to get another witness. God's already sent prophets. This man's grandfather, Elijah the prophet, wrote him a letter. I don't know whether Elisha spoke to him or not. Honest to God, it don't matter. Whether it's Elijah, whether it's, I don't know, in your mind, who you hold up at the top. If it was Billy Graham from the dead, if it was Bill Gillespie from the dead, or if it's little Joseph Hunt who growed up right here among us. Honest to God, that should not matter. But now God's going to stand this man up. The Spirit of God came upon it. means to wrap around or to clothe. That's the same picture. Ain't it something? The same words that we have in the New Testament, they're going to be imbued with power. You know what that means? They're going to put it on as a garment. It's going to be what covers them. When they stand up, you know what's going to be noticed? You know what you notice about me when I stand up? What I've got on. What I look like. And what you see. Well, I tell you, spiritually speaking, when the apostles are going to get behind the pulpit, when Zacharias here in the Old Testament, when he's going to stand up and speak, when Stephen's got a message there uh, under the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin, you know what they're going to see? They're not going to see what they've got on. They're not going to see their education, but they're going to recognize the power of God on them. God's going to make it unmistakable. I tell you, Stephen, I don't know what Stephen looked like in his face, but I tell you, they said they looked upon him and he looked as if he had the face of an angel. He wasn't an angel. He was a messenger and God had a message for him that day. You know what they done to Stephen? They stoned him. The Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. Who is this fella? This is Jehoiada, the man that rescued Joash. This is his son. So as you think about this now, and you look at all that's happened, I don't know whether he was older or younger, but I know this, Joash was brought up in the same house with him from less than one year old onward. And if Zechariah was younger, then Joash was there under Jehoiada. Jehoiada was his father. He's the one that raised him up. And so here he's the uh, raising him up. They were there. 
They knew each other. They loved one another. They were basically family. And not to be silly, they, they were family. They were first cousins. They were family one with another. Zechariah is going to stand up in the Spirit of God and stood above the people. I don't know where he was at, but he was elevated. He was up in a place, and I believe this, the Spirit of God will elevate and lift a man up above, but he was in a place just like I am right here. And everybody in the house, from the back row to the front, all the way across, you can see me. That's where the Word of God comes from. Not in a corner. Not in a place where it's not noticed. But God, and I tell you when God makes an announcement, and let's get it down individually, when God's Word speaks to me, I tell you it's not something that I can throw a blanket on and cover up and forget it. Almighty God, when He speaks... He speaks in a manner that, that rumbles down in the depths of our chest and it's unmistakable. I tell you, Zechariah is going to stand in a place where they can't hide their face from Him. They can't get away from what He's got to say. The Spirit of God has got a message for this people to hear. What's He say? Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Now let's read something that I myself thought was very interesting. In our English Bible, it's worded just a tad bit different. But in the original Hebrew, it's worded exactly the same. In Numbers, chapter number 14, verse number 41. You know what's happened here? The children of Israel refused to go in. They didn't believe God. God told them they would never go in. And the children of Israel, they wept and they pouted and they mourned. And the next day they said, we're going to go up and take it ourselves. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper? You know what they were doing? They were trying to go over top of what God said and be blessed and prosper for it. That's what Zechariah says they're doing here. You're going over. That's what the word transgress means, to cross over. When I first read that, I, I couldn't see that. I couldn't see what he was trying to say. But here's what they're doing. We're going to cross over and go over the top of what God said. And I'm going to expect God to prosper me. I'm going to go over top of the Word of God. I'm going to go over top of God's commandment. And I'm Bless me in the way I'm going. Is it going to happen? Moses said you can't. You're going to go up against an enemy and they're going to kill you. You know what happened? They went in and they got whooped and they retreated. Do you think, I want your personal opinion. I don't want you to answer me audibly. Answer it in your heart. Are you going to go over the Word of God and prosper? Can I? As a preacher, can I go over the Word of God 
and prosper. What about a deacon? Can a deacon go over the Word and prosper? Can our country? Can any individual go over the Word and prosper? Not one. What about that? And we think we're prospering and we're going over the Word of God. Ain't that something? I tell you, that's how deceiving that our enemy is. He blinds us to what we know in our heart. People can't see it. They cannot see it. Hath also, because ye have forsaken, that's the same word earlier, they've loosened, they've relinquished. Because you've loosened and relinquished the Lord, the Lord has loosened and relinquished you. You know what he says in Romans chapter 1? He's looking at a people that's wicked, that's sinful, that's forsaken God, that's forsaken His Word. And you know what God says? God give them up to their affections. God gave them up to their lusts. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You know what God was doing? God had them on a leash. God was restraining them from destroying their self. And God's gradually loosening the leash. What happens when it's loose? What happens when it's loosened, Brad? I tell you, he read it this morning. When God lets a man to go, when God withdraws from a man, when God forsakes. Man says if we could just get rid of the prophets. If we could get rid of Zechariah, we'd be free to live how we want to. If we could get rid of the church and the preacher and this problem, that's restraining me. Boy, when the restraint's gone, we'll be free. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be free. But it's free destruction. Damnation and death from the very hand of the God that provided all things. So what are they going to do? Well, they're not going to give ear. Verse 21, They conspired against Him and stoned Him with stones at the commandment of the King in the court of the house of the Lord. In Luke chapter 11, Verse 50. The blood of all the prophets which are shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias which perished between the altar and the temple. Now some might argue, some scholars may say that the Zechariah Jesus is speaking of is later. They can't prove that. And I believe that this is the same Zacharias. And you know who took notice of him being stoned? The Lord took notice. You know who took notice when they sawed Isaiah in half? The Lord took notice. You know who took notice when Jeremiah said, don't go down to Egypt because Nebuchadnezzar is going to capture you down there. You're going to have to obey the Word of God. They took up Jeremiah and they carried him with them. You know who took notice of that? God did. Boy, over and over and over again, picture after picture, example after example, man's trying to get rid of the Word of God and he just cannot get rid of it. A great injustice is done right here. The man of God clothed with a spirit is stoned. 
And boy, I tell you, to add insult to injury, it's done right down here in the temple of the Lord. Between the altar and the house of the Lord. Now, we may think that that adds weight to it. The truth is, it's stoning a man of God, stoning a man of God, period. But boy, the depravity that they won't even carry him out. We'll just stone him right here. i tell you what it was. It was expedient to get that Word of God off of us. Ain't it something? You see it. Ain't it something how expedient that it is to get out from under the Word of God? I tell you, you let the Word of God get hot enough. You let the power of it. And it's not always. I've stood to preach many times. It's not always on fire. It's not always bearing down with the weight of a load of bricks. But I tell you, when it gets hot and when the load gets heavy, man begins to be expedient to get out from under what God's a saying. I tell you, we could come to the Lord Jesus and He would take the burden off of us. But that ain't what man wants. Man wants to run away and have his own way. Let's stone him and get him out. So, Joash remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him. That word remember, to mark, so as to recognize. He thought very little. How could that happen? How in the world could a man be rescued, be set up, be led, be taught, be raised at the man's own expense, and yet when it comes time, not... Do you reckon that this crime required judgment? I mean, here's a murder that's happened. We've forsaken what God's done for us. But I tell you this now. Now this, this was a terrible crime and God's going to judge this. And we're not going to have time to get down into that latter part of it. I realize it's late and we've been up here a long time and I'm sorry for that. But in Luke chapter 11, he mentions this man Zacharias. And he says, from Abel. Now, to have the blood of Zacharias on your hands, wouldn't you say that would be a guilty man? What about Cain? Cain had the blood of Abel on his hands. And the Bible says that Abel's blood cried from the ground. What do you reckon that Abel's blood cried for? For vengeance and for justice. That he's been murdered. His blood has been shed. And we've already read in Luke chapter 11, the Lord Jesus said the blood of all of the prophets from Abel to Zechariah is going to be required of this generation. Not just one man. Not just Abel and Zacharias. But all the blood that's ever been shed. What's going to happen to this generation? In Luke chapter number 11. The perfect, the holy, the pure and spotless Lamb of God. The only begotten Son of God is going to be taken... He's going to be nailed. He's going to be slain at the hands of men. The Son of God's life is going to be taken from Him. Now I tell you, to be guilty of Abel's blood, 
That's one thing. To be like Jehoiada's son, Zacharias, and to be in Joash's shoes and forsake all the goodness that his father had done and stoned him anyway, I tell you, that'd be a guilty place to be in. But I tell you, we're talking about a whole lot more than guiding me to the throne of Israel. We're talking about more than guiding me to the throne of the presidency of the United States. We're talking about a God that's give us life, give us mercy, gave us peace, gave us hope, gave us everything that we've got, and He sent His Son to us, and we've rejected Him. The Son of God has been rejected. And all of the blood through the history of time is going to be required. I tell you, the blood of the Lamb of God, that's the blood that we better be concerned with. The Lord gave Him that we could have life. The Lord gave Him that we could be saved. The Lord gave Him that we could have our sins and our iniquities forgiven and put under the blood. The Lord gave Him that we could be brought in and adopted into the very family of God. The Lord's brought us along. He's given us life. He's given us peace. He's given us His Word. He's taught us His way. Why, preacher, I know the good. I've done good in the past. Yeah, Joash had done good in the past as well. But I tell you, all that's going to be forgotten because he slayed the son of Jehoiada. God's going to require it. It's going to be a grievous judgment. Maybe this sounds silly. His grandfather was a king and a wicked king that rebelled against the commandment of God and God smote him with a sore sickness in his bowels. And he was diseased. The Bible says sore diseased for two years. And at the end, his bowels fell out and he died. Now, they're going to bring judgment. The Syrians are going to come here on Joash. And if you look in verse 25, they left him in great diseases. I don't know if it was like his grandfather had endured. But you know what? A great sign of forsaking the Word of God is. I believe you can see it in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 23, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You know what happened? The bowels were sick. Now when you look at bowels through the Scripture, what do you see associated with the bowels of man? The bowels of Jesus moved with compassion. You see that through the Old Testament and the New. That when He's speaking of the bowels, that's the very love and compassion and part. You know what's happening? Man is trying to get away from God and His compassion and His love and His care. He's become diseased. And the love, the love for God, the love for the church, the love for the gospel, the love for the spirit, the love for fellow man, and I tell you, the love for their own family has departed. Why? Because I'm not coming to what God says. I know better than what God says. They're going to leave him in great diseases and his own people 
I'm not going to read all of this just for the sake of time. But in verse 27, I'm sorry, verse 25, the last part of that verse 25, they buried him in the city of David, but they buried him not in the sepulchers of the king. Jehoiada, who was never a king, he's buried and remembered as a king. Joash, the king, that forsook the goodness of God, he's not going to be remembered as a king. He's not going to be remembered, I don't know how long, 40 years of goodness that he led under Jehoiada. 40 years that the man led him to do good and to serve the Lord and to repair the temple and to do good works. He's not going to be remembered for any of that. What happened? My God, his reputation among the people of God was marred. For how long? Not for His generation. Not just for His grandchildren. But here we are, 2,700 years later, and we read about this man's reputation and how that he ruined himself by going against the Word of God. But I say this, 2,700 years is nothing compared to the eternal judgment that awaits those that reject the name of the Son of God. Those that would trot underfoot His blood. I tell you, to kill Zechariah, a good man, that's something that's worth judgment. But to turn your back on the blood of the Son of God, that's that's worth greater judgment than you and I can imagine. The people said it, and you've said it too. They stoned that man's son, the owner of the vineyard. What ought he to do? He ought to kill him and give the vineyard to somebody else. You've judged that for other people. What about you today? You and the Lord. That's all that's on our heart. Let's come to order. We'll stand. Anybody? Anything on your heart you feel like you ought to do? Come right on. Anybody else need to come and pray? Come and let's pray with Leah. Our Lord, our God. Lord, we thank you for the good word of God and for the Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the power of God.